Welcome to This Is My Story, a podcast series on the real and raw journeys of many Australians. Brought to you by the Continence Foundation of Australia. We are the national peak body for bladder and bowel control health, supporting the one in four Australians who experience incontinence. Incontinence is a common condition, but in many cases it can be prevented, better managed and even cured. Seeking advice and support from a health professional is the first step. Join us each week as we bring you a different story and perspective from those who live with or have experienced incontinence. Hello and welcome to This Is My Story. My name is Nicola Reid and I'm your host. The title of today's podcast is My Incontinence Journey, and my guest is a man who sent his written story in to the Continence Foundation. Ian is going to tell us about his journey, which traverses many emotions and frustrations towards mastering his experiences and taking back control of his life. So hi, Ian. Thank you for being my guest today, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. Thank you, Nicola. I'm pleased to to share my experience. Fantastic. Um, To set the scene today, I've asked Ian to read a section from his story which describes the impact of an overactive bladder on his life. So over to you, Ian. Well, I'm pleased to share it. Um, I'm forever on the alert. It's a continual stress. Life and work are constantly distracted and compromised. There are too many conversations that I have dropped out of suddenly without explanation. There are too many meetings that did not have my full attention. Reading a book is punctuated not by chapters, but by toilet breaks. I wear dark trousers to camouflage leakage and I'm certain to carry something, um, a paper or a jumper that can casually hide my front. Shopping is a planned exercise with public toilets identified. I do not join excursions for fear of complete embarrassment. And driving a car is risky business on long trips I take a change of clothes. Thanks, Ian, and thank you for sharing that story. And it obviously sounds like it had a huge impact on your life and any planning, any expeditions, any outings, et cetera. There was a lot of planning involved in that, I imagine. Certainly, yeah, and a lot of uh, uh, intimidation as well. I was often uncertain whether I should join or not join activities. Yeah, right. I wasn't sure how long I would last. Yeah, yeah, which can be so limiting, can't it? So, Ian, when you first experienced urinary frequency, what did you think was the cause of it? What did you kind of think around that time? My original thought was my bladder's too small. Uh, I I need to start hanging on longer and training it to to hold more, to increase its capacity. It took me some time to work out that that wasn't the problem. (laughs) Yeah. Um, in your story at the beginning, you said uh, you initially thought perhaps it was the number of coffees you were drinking per day. You, you'd actually increase that. Um, did you think that might have something to do with it? Uh, I think there's no doubt that I, have, I was drinking far too much coffee. I was in a stressful job at the time. And um, that's when it all started. No question about it. Yeah. And it started and it continued, didn't it? So, and obviously, as you've just described, it had a massive impact on your life and your ability to get out and about. So then you decided to go and see your GP for advice. And what happened after that? Uh, the GP uh, listened, as they do. 
uh, we th thought first step was to just check that uh, everything, kidneys and urinary tract were all in good shape and that the bladder wasn't over small and all those sorts of details. But we found nothing was out of the ordinary. I had a normal system. Um, we then went on to a urologist. And when you saw the urologist, what was uh, his approach to treatment, assuming it was male? <laughs> uh, he was male. Um, well, first, uh, uh, a, um, an assessment, but immediately into some sort of uh, medication, uh, just tablets. And immediately, I think they had good effect. Within a couple of weeks, I was a new person. I was really happy. Right. Uh, but that didn't last. Uh, they wore off. That didn't last, really. So you only really got relief for a couple of weeks while you are on that medication? Yeah, only a couple of weeks. But we continued on for months. And then we went on to patches as well as the medication. Uh, and in the end, I thought, this fellow really has no empathy for me or no understanding of what I'm, I'm tolerating. So um, I went back to my GP. Back to the GP. All right. And so what was your GP's next line of advice? Uh, this time he, he sent me on to a professor of urology who was practising out of the local hospital, local private hospital. Um, that fellow was quite different. Uh, he, he assessed me. We went through the ultrasounds and went through the medication I'd been on and the problems I had. And his first response was, well, you've got overactive bladder. It's going to take you many years to get this into control. And you really need to see a physiotherapist. And he immediately gave me a, a short note to a physiotherapist and an address and off I went to a physiotherapist. Right. And that was a pelvic floor physiotherapist? Yeah. Um, it, it was a combined men's and women's health physiotherapist who specialised in those areas. Right. And you said um, in your story in that um, when you did see the pelvic floor physiotherapist, it was the first time you actually felt you were doing something positive to deal with your overactive bladder. So did you do um, muscle retraining exercises, those sorts of things? Yes, you're quite right. It was a very positive uh, move for me. I thought, wow, something different, not tablets, something I can actually participate in. Yeah. And uh the, the physiotherapist uh, gave me those pelvic floor exercises, which I routinely carried out each day or, or evening. And each week, then she'd come back and assess me. And I, I, there was noticeable improvement. But um, in the longer run, I felt it's not really addressing the problem I've got. Mm. Um, she was more interested in small wetting exercises where I was having major... <laughs> flooding exercises so um, I, I continued with her exercises that's all she seemed to be able to give me uh, and uh, w w I left her and I still do the exercises once in a blue moon if I feel it's appropriate but no more mm. yeah yeah and I, I believe you tried things like distraction techniques as well Ian yeah well she, she recommended oh, curling your toes and um, clapping your legs together and all these sorts of things that we seem to do instinctively. Mm -hmm. Very limited impact. I mean, to help you sometimes if you're in the car alone, you can clap your legs together for five minutes and, yeah, that'll help. That's not a very good solution. <laughs> so it worked to an extent, but it still wasn't really addressing 
um, the issue for you. Quite right. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So you've done a lot of searching and researching, I know, Ian. Um, you're a curious person who likes to find out how things work and you've done a lot of research, I know, into um, understanding what was going on for you and, and perhaps um, what you could do about it. What was the key thing you discovered in your research? The key thing is that I found was that it's a widespread problem. It's not restricted to men or women. We all have this challenge. Um, and it's not an easy fix. Yeah. And in your story, you talked about the fact that you had a realisation that uh, it wasn't about controlling your bladder, but it was more about retraining your brain and your brain to control your bladder. Yes. So, so the professor said to me, it's going to take you a long time, many years to get this into control, which I was not too happy about that. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, my physiotherapist said to me, well, then it's actually going to get worse as you get older. And I wasn't too happy about that either because I couldn't imagine it being worse. <laughs> if it was worse, I simply wouldn't be leaving the house or the bathroom. So um, I was also reading about neuroplasticity at that time, which is the ability of the mind to change the way uh, its pathways and its controls and so forth. So I decided, well, oh, and I'd also read online that some of our bladder training habits are what we've adopted from our childhood as our parents give us guidance in, in toilet training and so forth. Yeah. So it seemed to me the issue was not me responding to my bladder. The, the problem was I needed to train my, train my mind in a new way of thinking and taking control of the bladder so that the bladder avoided when I wanted it to not when it was desperate to. And in your story, you say the trick is to distract the mind so that a persistent bladder call does not register or at least can be deferred. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so can you explain how that worked for you, Ian? I imagine, you know, it took some time to, to really refine that. Um, how did that work for you? Um, I'd like to put in the word positive reinforcement as well. Yes, fantastic. Um, I decided I was going to take control of this in some fashion and I would take small steps. So as soon as I got an urge, I tried to defer it as long as I could rather than react immediately because reacting immediately just reinforced the problem. Yeah. So each time I deferred it, even if it was only for a minute or so, I would pat myself on my back and I would say, well done, Ian. <laughs> and then I'd look forward to the next opportunity to, um, to defer and so forth. And over several weeks and months, I continued with that. And eventually I got to reasonable distances of deferring things and I could defer it for an hour. And I found the, action, the answer was not to respond immediately and urgently find a toilet and get stressed about it, or not to try and hang on and do all these little distraction techniques. The, the idea was to somehow ride through it over the hump of the urgency so the urgency had gone. Right. So you are over this urgency hump 
and then the, you were free again. <laughs> it might come up in another three or four minutes, yeah. but it, it was extending those three or four minutes and getting over that first hunt was the issue. So that's what I did. And eventually uh, I got brave and I decided to take it outside. Uh, I do, I am an active sports person on a regular basis. And uh, luckily I can play my sport without people really noticing whether I've wet myself or not. Mm -hmm. um, but I was also lucky in that the sport required my full attention. So I could be on the playing field and I might desperately need to go to the toilet. Well, it was just impossible to go. Mm. And sometimes I would fail and I'd just have to wear that bit of agony and my sports gear hid that for me. But on other occasions, I actually hopped onto the sports field um, knowing that I desperately needed to go to the toilet. And by doing that, I was trying to get over that urgency hump mm. and implement that distraction technique. Sometimes it didn't work, <laughs> uh, but eventually it did. Yeah. And uh, today I don't have any troubles at all. I, I, I do what I want when I want. It's not an issue for me. Yeah, that's terrific. And so obviously it was a gradual process. Like you said, it took several weeks, months. Um, you might not be able to defer the urge for very long, but um, I like the pat on the back and that positive reinforcement. I still gave myself a pat on the back when I got there. <laughs> <laughs> We all need that encouragement, don't we? Mm -hmm. And you also said, Ian, that um, the sport that you play demands your full attention, otherwise you risk being injured. Um, so imagine that in intense level of concentration also helped you to uh, retrain your bladder. I know you said it didn't always work, but... Oh, exactly right. It, it was that need to focus on something else. It doesn't have to be a sport. It might be playing a musical instrument in an orchestra or, or, yeah. or, or some other area where you really don't have a choice but to ignore your body. And uh, that's what worked for me. Yeah. And last time we spoke, Ian, we were talking too about um, the triggers that we often associate with needing to go to the loo, don't we? Like, you know, sort of putting your keys in the door and that sort of sense of urgency. And so you identified those, didn't you, or you'd use other distraction techniques? Yeah, from my reading, I saw that stress could be a, a rise to incontinence. Yeah. I could see the keyhole syndrome as a, a rise to incontinence. And any time that I felt that that was sort of influencing me, I've made an immediate decision. Well, I'm not going to go through the front door. Or I'm going to go around the back door and I'm going to put out my washing or make my bed or do something else before I go to the toilet. So I made sure that I had some other distractions before that sort of behaviour became uh, um, mm. repetitious yeah. and a problem. Mm. Yeah. So you were basically dictating when you wanted to avoid. Yeah, exactly right. And that's the view yeah. I took. Each no, time I, I said to my bladder, no, I'll do it when I want to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep, right. Yeah, so you really retrained that and really changed a lot of habits with that. Hmm. Um, Ian, you said you also experimented with removing coffee to see if that improved the situation and you, you didn't sort of notice much difference initially, did you? But then uh, relatively recently you stopped drinking coffee altogether and you found that had a positive impact on something yeah. else? Yeah. I'm certain that coffee instigated all of, all of this problem. Mm -hmm. um, uh, over the years, I've gone weeks without coffee. It didn't seem to have much of an impact. 
But on other occasions, I'd have a cup of coffee and immediately have to go to the toilet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes it, it was I'd have the coffee, but it wouldn't have an impact for another four or five hours. So it was really a mixed bag. And it seemed to vary with the type of coffee as well, but uh, I didn't get too worried about it all. Mm. Um, I did settle down to about two or three coffees a day just to, because it's just a habit to, that I have. Um, and one time, for other reasons, I thought, look, I'm going to just cut out coffee altogether. And I stopped it that day. I went from three coffees a day to nothing. And uh, immediately, all those little incontinence issues that I've been tolerating just stopped altogether, completely stopped. Right. So that was good news, and I continued with no coffee for several weeks or whatever. Um, but now I have coffee whenever I want. It's not an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you said uh, you'd had reflux uh, for a while and that that resolved when you stopped drinking coffee as well. Yeah, well, I, I did have some reflux and I did a little bit of research. It said one of the contributions to reflux is coffee. So I thought, well, that's when I cut out the coffee and that's when I saw the impact on the incontinence. Yeah, okay. And, of course, we're not trying to pan coffee here, but we're identifying oh. it as an irritant and um, perhaps compounding the issues that you were having. Uh, th- that's the right word. It can be an irritant which compounds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I don't have the reflux anymore and I, d- I don't have the coffee problems anymore and I don't have incontinence anymore. So. Fantastic. You've come a long way, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been a long journey, I can tell you. I know, I know. <laughs> I read your story, yeah. I, I realised it was a long journey and that's, that's an important thing to say too, that, you know, improvement was gradual, you had some setbacks, but... Um, you know, through the retraining your your brain and to retrain your bladder, you've, you've um, had some momentous gains, which is fantastic. Hmm. Yeah, that's so good. So, in what advice would you give to others who might be going through a similar experience to yours? I think the advice is there's no quick fix, mm. uh, whether it's through a urologist or through a physiotherapist. For me, it really was a matter of taking control of my mind Mm. and it became purely a physical mind thing without any medication, without any exercises and so forth. Which is... um, That's not to dismiss them. Um, No, no. it's, It's just to say, for me, they were areas I worked through, but they didn't give me the results that I needed. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that reminds us of the, you know, our biochemical individuality, the complexity of us as individuals and how certain things will work for some people and perhaps not, you know, gain as much traction for others. But um, fantastic. It's been great talking to you, Ian, and uh, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Many thanks for asking. Keep well. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Tune in next time to hear Stephanie Thompson's story, Not Every Disability is Visible, is the theme of our next podcast. Thank you for listening to today's podcast, brought to you by the Continents Foundation of Australia. The foundation supports all Australians living with or at risk of incontinence. Remember that support is available 
For more information, go to continents.org.au or call the National Continents Helpline on 1800 33 0066 to speak with a nurse continents specialist. They offer free confidential information, advice and support. The helpline is open from 8am to 8pm, Monday to Friday, excluding national public holidays. The primary purpose of this podcast is to share personal stories and experiences. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your medical professional or healthcare provider if you require medical advice or treatment.